Hello and welcome to the Weekend Wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am your host, Ben Davison, and it is Sunday, the 9th of April in the year 2023. And for me, it's a very happy Easter at home with Van and Germanicus, talking with you, dear listeners, about two pretty important stories today. We're going to talk a little bit about jobs and wages, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the horrible things that are being said about the NDIS. Firstly, on jobs and wages. You might have seen a story in the ABC. It was almost promoted as though it was a good news story. And that is, there is a factory, a jam factory in New South Wales that is employing around half of its 200 strong workforce as school-aged children school-aged children, 11 years and up. And according to the article in the ABC, realistically, the only reason they haven't gone younger than 11 is because you've got to be older than 11 in order to get a tax file number. So what does this tell us? It tells us a few things. One, that there are country towns in Australia crying out for more workers. And fundamentally, that's being driven by a lack of affordable housing and infrastructure. So there needs to be proper investment in social housing. Clearly, New South Wales is lagging behind in that respect. But also that when city people go to regional areas for a nice day in a cafe or to pick up some artisanal jam, we need to think about how that's being made and what pressures that's putting on the local economy, and particularly the local school children. I was shocked and appalled to learn that there is no official minimum age for employment in New South Wales. In fact, child labour laws vary wildly across the country. In some places, you need to be around 15. In other places, you need a letter from your parents to be able to work as a child. In some places like New South Wales, it's simply a matter of whether or not you can get a tax file number. This is a frightening development. I've spent a lot of my adult life working in the broader labor movement. And I have to say, the concept of child labor was not something that we ever really considered. I think we thought this was a battle that had been fought and won many years ago. It should be noted that the trade union movement does not support child labor and has often shared memes and talking points and policies about why child labor is bad globally. And one would assume that extends to our own shores as well. Fundamentally, making children work rather than go to school, focus on their studies, has a detrimental impact on their entire life. Now, I'm not saying these children are being abused. I'm not saying they're being forced into it. But we generally, as a society, recognize that children are not in a position to make the same choices that adults make. And we put in place a range of protections for children so they are not inadvertently exploited, so that they do not do things that they think they want to do simply because they have been asked by an adult or a person in a position of authority. One can imagine that in a small country town where the local factory owner who employs 200 people possibly the child's parents as well, comes and says, hey, little Johnny or little Jane, would you like to come and work in my jam factory with your mum and your dad 
and your uncle and your cousin and your little sister or your little brother, there's some societal pressure to participate. That's not okay. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that the owners of the factory have done anything wrong. In fact, it appears that what they've done is totally legal. And in fact, in the eyes of the ABC, it seems as though what they've done is praiseworthy. It was listed as a good news story, at least when I last checked it. Given the online backlash, one suspects it might be changing category soon. And it goes to the issue of how our media functions and works. If you've noticed a bit more conservatism in the ABC, one can probably attribute that to the sorts of people they've been employing. Here I'm specifically referring to Alice Workman, formerly of The Australian. And in full disclosure, Alice Workman, of course, has written hit pieces or did write hit pieces when she was at the Murdoch-owned loss-making so-called newspaper, The Australian, uh, against Van and against friends of mine. In fact, Alice Workman was poached from a youth news outlet to The Australian almost specifically to take her social media following and hand it over to the Oz. Having done that, she's now moved on. You might be surprised to learn she's now a senior executive producer at, have you guessed it yet? Q&A with Stan Grant. So if you've noticed a slight change in tone and tenor at Q&A, it might have something to do with the ideological frameworks that are being applied. I noticed this week that they've asked people to comment on a report from the Centre for Independent Studies. Now, the Centre for Independent Studies is a well-known right-wing think tank. And quite frankly, anything that comes out of it is effectively the same as following the tweets of Ross Cameron. The reason I bring up Ross Cameron, Ross Cameron has, of course, attacked not just the minimum wage, but the rights of Aboriginal people to access minimum wages, has attacked Sally McManus and the trade union movement, the trade union movement which demands minimum wages apply as a floor for all working people. Now, if you believe in minimum wages and not a race to the bottom, where workers are forced in a Hunger Games-style competition for work based on who will take the least amount of money, then you fundamentally believe in unionism. That is the fundamental tenet. And you should join your union at australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W. Ross Cameron has, of course, said that one of the greatest tragedies in Australia's history and interaction with our Aboriginal and First Nations people was Whitlam's decision to extend the minimum wage to Aboriginal people, and that that somehow or another threw them all out of work. This is, of course, a racist, nonsensical lie. Fundamentally, the minimum wage is there to protect all workers not just those who make minimum wage, but also those workers who are on award wages, who are on uh, collective agreements, and even those on individual contracts. All one needs to do is look across the Pacific at the United States, where the minimum wage is a patchwork of state-based laws and a tiny, tiny dollar amount prescribed by the federal government. 
There, you have whole industries that rely on tips. And what happens? Funnily enough, minority groups, often people of colour, often single parents, are locked into poverty employment. They become the working poor. What Ross Cameron on Twitter seems to be suggesting is that it is better to have a working poor than to have a minimum wage. Quite frankly, I can't imagine someone being more wrong. In Australia at the moment, we hear constantly about labour shortages. In fact, there's a jam factory in New South Wales that's taken to employing children, such as the demand for workers. One suspects that if wages were actually meeting the cost of inflation and the rising cost of living, those employers who are struggling to find qualified workers might have a slightly easier time, which is why the ACTU, Australian Unions, the union movement in general in Australia, has advocated for a 7% increase in the minimum wage. Of course, the lobby groups for the bosses and the bosses' pamphlet, the AFR, have screamed that this will cost jobs, this will somehow destroy the Australian economy. One can imagine Ross Cameron, the Centre for Independent Studies and the Jam Factory in New South Wales, all support the bosses' position. Well, the problem that they have is that the bosses have been saying that about every minimum wage increase certainly for as long as I can remember and probably for as long as you can remember. And what has happened? We have more jobs in our economy than ever before. We have a minimum wage that is the envy of most of the world. And quite frankly, people are now going backwards again because of the cost of living. We have a labour shortage. We also have a reserve bank that wants more people to be unemployed. So on one hand, the boss's lobby group wants there to be more unemployed people so the Reserve Bank stops putting up interest rates. On the other hand, they publicly argue that putting up minimum wages will increase unemployment. You can't have it both ways, fellas. Quite frankly, a minimum wage increase of 7% that flows through rewards, that flows through into the broader working population is fundamental, fundamental to addressing the damage done of a decade of economic mismanagement by the coalition government. People are doing it tough. Wages are not keeping up with the cost of living. And quite frankly, the government has already said that they support minimum wage earners getting that cost of living increase. We'll wait and see what happens. The minimum wage won't be decided generally until late May, early June. And there'll be lots of discussion and campaigning until then. We should remember that most of the people on minimum wages are people in what is commonly called the care economy or in hospitality or in retail, sometimes in delivery, warehousing, sometimes as well. Wherever there is not a very strong union presence is generally where there's minimum wages. Quite frankly, if there's a strong union presence, usually there's a collective agreement. The union movement doesn't do the minimum wage case because it gets members for the union movement. The union movement does the minimum wage case because if it didn't, no one would. Without the union movement putting in a claim and making the argument, around 2 million people in this country would not have anyone advocating for them. Now, when you consider that most of those people are not members of a union, 
the union movement is doing a vital public service. The bosses lobby groups all get paid directly by their members, the bosses, to lobby against a minimum wage increase. So it's worth remembering that if you're not a member of a union and you are on minimum wage, you can get a tax deduction for being a member. And quite frankly, the more members in your workplace, the more likely you are to get a collective agreement and the more likely you are to get more than the minimum wage and minimum entitlements. So join your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow. You can do that right now as we're talking. Because quite frankly, folks, we live in a time where employers think it's okay to employ 11-year-olds in factories, where former Liberal MPs go on Twitter and claim that paying Aboriginal people, and he used the, quote, hashtag blacks, unquote, paying Aboriginal people the minimum wage is a problem for Aboriginal people. It's a good reminder that there are people in our country who would pay people less based on the colour of their skin if they could get away with it. Of course, the union movement stands against any form of racism, any form of discrimination, and the Unions for Yes campaign is gathering great momentum even as we speak, I believe there are actions taking place all around the country, meetings. You can check out the Unions for Yes website as well. Well worth a look. Right around the country, union members are standing up for the rights of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers, sisters, and others in the community. Now, another issue I want to talk about today, the NDIS Coming into the budget, the NDIS will come under increasing levels of scrutiny. We've already seen, just in the last 24 hours, the appalling video put out by Pauline Hansen, calling the entire NDIS a scam. It's an animated video. I'm not going to share it, and I'm not going to give you any URLs or even what it's called, because quite frankly, it's an attention-grabbing and attention-seeking video. The Guardian has written it up and criticised it, quite rightly, has spoken to disability advocates about the issues raised in it, and it, quite frankly, is an ableist and disgusting piece of video content. But we shouldn't forget that Pauline Hanson is not alone in her views on this. Jason Wood, the Liberal member for Latrobe, one of the few remaining Liberal seats in the great state of Victoria, has an ad running, and I will share this ad on our social media posts about this episode because the ad has over 1,300 quote-unquote likes and hundreds of comments. The comments are, quite frankly, a zoo. They are horrendous. Basically, what Jason Wood has suggested in his ad is that Anthony Albanese is allowing the NDIS to blow out on the basis of tarot readings and psychic predictions. And this is services provided to people with a disability. Now, I don't know the detail of where Jason Wood has got that information from. I don't know if there are psychic services available on the NDIS. If that's what is needed for someone to actively participate in our society, 
then I don't particularly have a problem with it. Fundamentally, the issues of the NDIS are much deeper and more complex than the kind of surface-level outrage-seeking, attention-grabbing that Pauline Hanson and Jason Wood are trying to make them out to be. There are issues around registration. There are issues around quality workforce. There are issues around having enough workers. There are issues around providers who are going under. There are issues around providers who are making vast amounts of profit. There are issues around the influence of organised crime, as was exposed by 60 Minutes some months ago. Quite frankly, a decade of mismanagement of the NDIS by the Morrison government has led to a series of systemic challenges. It still blows my mind that you can have a multi-billion dollar government program where participation in that program by providers is unregistered. There is no comparable program in any comparable country in any part of the world where that is the case. It is, quite frankly, shocking. And what happens is that over time, the likes of Pauline Hansen and Jason Wood will latch on to one or two examples of poor behaviour or supposed misuse of money and argue for the whole thing to be torn down. They will belittle, besmirch and attack Australians with a disability in order to make a political point. And that's what Pauline Hansen's video does. That's what Jason Wood's ads on Facebook are about. They're about scoring political points. They're about attacking Labor. Now, Labor has committed to reforming the NDIS. For the first time ever, the NDIS board has a majority of people with a disability on the board. The NDIS is fundamentally working with people with a disability on what they need from the scheme. We should remember that the under the Abbott government, the NDIS staffing was capped at less than half, less than half what was identified as being required to service the minimum number of people. Now, of course, more people, more people have accessing the service than was originally intended or was originally envisaged. That doesn't mean that there's a problem with the scheme. That means that people with a disability are more empowered to come forward and get the support that they need. And I can understand that. Under the old systems of institutionalisation, of systemic abuse, having a disability could be quite frankly, dangerous. It's not to say that it's not dangerous now. It's not to say that there aren't risks for people living with a disability now. But with the NDIS, certainly there is a greater opportunity to mitigate those risks, to empower people with a disability to make more choices and have more control over their own lives. What we are seeing, though, is the pendulum swinging, swinging from too far controlling the lives 
of people with a disability to too deregulated to the point where cowboys are taking advantage of a government program. And by that, I mean dodgy sham contractors, the organised crime groups, the kinds of unregistered providers who, quite frankly, don't care about their clients. Now, I'm not saying all of them, not saying all of them, but I'm talking specifically about the ones who don't care about their clients, who are just interested in turning a quick buck. Now, the danger is the pendulum will swing back again too far the other way again. And we've seen Pauline Hanson and Jason Wood and others try and make that happen. They would love to disassemble the NDIS. They would love to use it as a political bat with which to beat Labor, which is why Labor needs to reform the NDIS, needs to get it back to, as Bill Shorten says, its core principles. Because fundamentally, the Morrison government did not care. And fundamentally, the Morrison government was happy to let it blow out, quote unquote, in order to get it to a stage where people were demanding that it be cut. The stage where, funnily enough, Pauline Hanson and Jason Wood are already at and are now trying to drive public opinion further in that direction. The danger here is political, and we have to accept that reality. The NDIS is a beautiful piece of nation-building infrastructure. It has facilitated the economic and social engagement of more people with a disability in this country than any other single piece of policy in living memory. But if it is not properly protected and regulated and reformed to be what it was intended to be, and that is to facilitate the active participation of people with a disability in our society and our economic opportunities, then there will be a political backlash. We're starting to see it develop, and it will only get worse in the ramp-up to the budget. There's some very good work being done by unions in this space. And, of course, here I talk about the HSU, HACSU, the UWU, Australian Workers, and the ASU as well, who are saying that there has to be proper regulatory oversight, proper protections and safety protocols, proper training and workforce development. And think of it this way. Now, the person who comes to mow your lawn, they're not coming in your house. They're not helping you in the shower. They're not fixing the gas piping to your stove. They're mowing the lawn. Their level of qualifications to do that work, quite frankly, don't need to be that high. And if someone comes to mow your lawn, you're probably not that interested in their backstory because of all the internal safety precautions that you have. They don't come into the house. They don't have access to your private material. They don't have access to you in a vulnerable situation. They don't have access to anything in the house that could hurt or damage you in any way. However, if someone is coming into your house to fix the plumbing, well, there's a proper skills assessment process for that, licensing and registration for that, oversight 
for that. And if they're doing that as part of a government-funded program, so let's say they're a plumber on a major piece of infrastructure work, well, then they're responsible to the government, which is, of course, funding them. Quite frankly, it seems like a logical thing for us to say that for those people who are going to be providers in the NDIS, who are going to be accessing people when they're in a vulnerable state, i.e. they're asleep or they're in a shower or a bath or going to have access to things that can harm people, such as medication, sharp knives, stoves, then they should have some form of regulatory oversight. They should be required to be registered. So if something does go wrong, they can be held accountable and that they know they can be held accountable. I'm not saying registration is the only solution to these problems, but quite frankly, the political heat of the NDIS is getting turned up. And I know that there are hundreds of thousands of Australians who rely on the NDIS every day, millions when you take into account family members whose lives have been fundamentally changed for the better as a result of the program. Pauline Hanson and Jason Wood and the Liberal Party don't care about any of that. They see the NDIS as a political stick with which to beat the Albanese Labor government. And quite frankly, it's beholden on all of us who support the NDIS, who want this program to succeed, to make sure that it is rigorous and able to sustain itself against such political forces. Clearly at the moment, Pauline Hanson and Jason Wood think they're on a winner. When you look at the comments and the likes that these videos get, you can see why. I'm not phased about what particular services NDIS participants access. I'm not a healthcare professional. I'm someone who has spent most of their adult life working in community organisations, unions, and in politics. So the lens that I bring to this is about how do we make sure the NDIS is not undermined and demolished in the pursuit of a political victory by the forces of conservatism in this country. Quite frankly, I think that means having a very frank conversation about how the NDIS operates, who's allowed to be a provider, and the oversight and safety protocols that are in place to ensure that taxpayer money is being spent appropriately and in a way that doesn't harm people it's supposed to be helping and empowering. And until we do that, we can expect more ads from Pauline Hanson and Jason Wood, who will take the political opportunity that's presented to them. We know One Nation's form. We know the Liberal Party's form. In fact, they're pretty much the same thing. Hopefully, the work of the union movement and good providers, and there are many in this space, I want to be very clear about that, there are many workers 
who care deeply about the work they do. And there are many participants who care deeply about ensuring that they are accessing the scheme legitimately for legitimate purposes. No one is suggesting otherwise. Quite frankly, I find the ads and the videos that Pauline Hanson, Jason Wood, One Nation and the Liberal Party are running to be despicable and disgusting. They are appealing to a base level of envy, of jealousy, of misinformed and misinformation that, quite frankly, has no real place in our political debate, except that it gets platformed, as I've already discussed. The media in this country, quite frankly, is not up to the job of defending nation-building, life-changing policies and infrastructure like the NDIS. We have to do it together. Just like the Unions for Yes campaign will help back in the voice and constitutional reform, so too will people who are not on the NDIS be vital to supporting its ongoing delivery for people who need it the most. That's all that I have time for today. It is, of course, Easter Sunday where I am. Whatever you're doing today and whatever you're doing over the next few days, I hope you stay safe. I hope you have a lovely time. Remember, if you are feeling alone and isolated, holidays are often a time when people are. I understand that. Reach out. Call a friend. Call a friend. Everybody's got a friend. Even if even if you don't think you've got a friend, call a friend. If you can't get a hold of your friend, call Lifeline, access one of the services that exists. You don't need to be alone. You don't need to be unhappy on these days. And if you are, please make use of the services that are available. I hope this podcast has helped inform you. Bam will be joining me again for the week on Wednesday. There will be no weekend wrap next Sunday as it is my birthday. I will be turning 40. So a huge shout out and thanks to all of our supporters who've made this podcast possible. Everyone on buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. My 40th birthday will be next weekend, so I will not be doing a weekend wrap. I hope you understand. I'm sure you do. Until then, be kind to yourself and to each other.